Greetings. Joseph Kursky here with you with another Thinking Spatially podcast. Today's topic, Ibn Battuta, The Wonders of Traveling. Ibn Battuta, The Wonders of Traveling. That person's name is spelled I-B-N space B-A-T-T-U-T-A. Ibn Battuta. His book is called The Rilla, R-I-H-L-A. More about that in a moment. Imagine setting out on a trip and not settling down for 30 years. 30 years. That is what happened to Ibn Battuta. In the modern world, it has become fairly easy to visit every country, given enough time and money. In fact, so easy that over the course of five years, James Asquith, a British citizen, in 2013 at age 24 became the youngest traveler to visit all 196 countries in the world. But before the advent of airplanes, water-repellent clothing, and passports, Abu Abdullah Muhammad Ibn Battuta, better known simply as Ibn Battuta, 1304 to circa 1377 AD, traveled nearly in the entirety of the known Islamic world. He is considered one of the greatest travelers of all time. His discoveries revolutionized geography, not just because of his extensive travels, but because of the account he wrote about those travels. Born in Tangier, Morocco, Ibn Battuta was a Berber Muslim scholar and traveler. Even the title of the book of his journeys is wonderfully descriptive, in my opinion. Tufat al-Anzar fi Garabib al-Amsar va Ajab al-Asfar. In other words, a gift to those who contemplate the wonders of cities and the marvels of traveling. A gift to those who contemplate the wonders of cities and the marvels of traveling. Isn't that wonderful? Given the title's length, his book is commonly referred to as Ibn Battuta's Rila, R-I-H-L-A, because Rila means journey. At 21, Ibn Battuta set out on a journey where he was intending to go on the Hajj to Mecca. This is the trip that extended far beyond in time and distance, eventually spanning nearly 30 years. Upon his leaving Tangier, he wrote, quote, I set out alone, having neither fellow traveler in whose companionship I might find cheer, nor caravan whose part I might join, but swayed by an overmastering impulse within me and a desire long cherished, cherished in my bosom to visit these illustrious sanctuaries. So I braced my resolution to quit my dear ones, female and male, and forsook my home as birds forsake their nests. My parents being yet in the bonds of life, it weighed sorely upon me to part from them, and both they and I were afflicted with sorrow at this separation. End quote. Ibn Battuta traveled from his homeland in Morocco across to present-day Tunisia to Alexandria, Egypt. From there, he journeyed to Lebanon, south to Mecca, and then north to Iraq and northeast to Persia, or Iran, and west to Turkey. He then traveled back to Mecca, south to Yemen, and on to Somalia. Traveling down the coast from Somalia, he visited present-day Kenya and Tanzania before turning around and visiting Oman on a third visit to Mecca. 
Next, he traveled to Egypt, Palestine, Turkey, across the Black Sea to present-day Russia. Next, he visited Turkey again, and then Greece for the first time, and then journeyed further northeast into Russia, Uzbekistan, and from Afghanistan, crossed into India. He spent time in the northwest section there before journeying to the south, and from there left for the Maldive Islands. He sailed to Sri Lanka, back to India, and went on to Bangladesh, Sumatra in Indonesia, and Malacca in Malaysia. From that point, he traveled northeast to Vietnam and then into China, arriving during the Yuan Dynasty. Y-U-A-N. From there, he began his very long journey home, including longer portions by sea than before, arriving in Syria during the time that the Black Death was claiming the lives of many. On he went to Mecca once more, and then, after nearly 30 years, arrived back in Morocco with one detour into Sardinia, an island that is now part of Italy. Yet, after all the time that had elapsed, Ibn Battuta got the travel bug once more. He set out for Spain and some regions of Morocco that he had not seen before, including Marrakesh. Once again, he spent only a few days in his hometown before settling out again. Before setting out again, this time he set out to the south, across the Sahara to Mali and Mauritania, and Niger before returning to Morocco. He traveled extensively in West Africa, Southern Europe, and Eastern Europe. He also trekked to the Middle East, east to the Indian subcontinent, north and west into Central Asia, south and further east into Southeast Asia, north and still further east into China. This distance greatly surpassed the distance covered by his predecessors, or for that matter, by his near-contemporary Marco Polo. When he finally returned to Morocco in the early 1350s, he was commissioned by Abu Inan Faris, the Sultan of Morocco, to produce an account of his travels. Ibn Battuta then dictated his story to the poet Ibn Juzai al-Kalbi. Like other explorers and geographers, Ibn Battuta was obviously motivated by a desire for knowledge and adventure. The men in his family were legal scholars, but there were no institutes of higher learning, so it is likely that part of his motivation to travel was to find the best teachers and the best libraries. Like other geographers, he seemed to enjoy interacting with people as much as observing the landscape, meeting hundreds if not thousands of people in a wide variety of languages, customs, and beliefs along the way. He possessed excellent diplomatic skills. He was frequently the guest of diplomats, sultans, and princes. He was very organized, planning ahead, for example, for water to be delivered to his caravan four days after the last oasis when he was crossing the Sahara. His life was intertwined with his travels. He had a series of marriages, taking his first bride in Sfax, Tunisia. He had to be flexible, encountering local rebellions that forced him to change his plans, for example, in I... Dab in southeastern Egypt. Yet he was also tenacious, pressing ever on. He liked to explore. He also often took the routes that were the least traveled, such as during his first trip to Mecca when he journeyed up the Nile and across to the Red Sea from Alexandria, rather than to Suez and along the Red Sea coast. His routes were far from what might be considered a holiday, including a two-week journey across the desert in Saudi Arabia, across the rugged mountains from Afghanistan to India, as another example. Further, travel during his time was not only difficult, but it was often extremely dangerous. Remember, this was the 1300s. Ibn Battuta traveled with caravans whenever he could for safety, but even so, when he left India for China, his group was attacked by a group of bandits. He was robbed and nearly killed. 
Yet ten days later, he caught up with the rest of his companions and was once once more on his way. His ship sailing from Sri Lanka almost sank, and the vessel that came to his rescue was subsequently attacked by pirates. But he made remarkably good time on his travels. For example, he took only two months to cross 1,600 kilometers of the Sahara Desert. All that is known about him comes from his own autobiographical information that is included in the Rila. He was born into a family of legal scholars during the Marinid dynasty, which ruled Morocco from the 13th to 15th century. South of his birthplace, Fez, Morocco, was enjoying its renaissance during the period, becoming one of the largest cities in the region, and some would say in the entire world, and Morocco's geographic position made it a prime place for the interaction of cultures from Europe and Africa, just as it is today. But there is no indication whether he read accounts from other travelers that encouraged him in his own quests. There is also no indication, incredibly, that Ibn Battuta made his own notes during his travels. If that is the case, it is all the more remarkable that 29 years of traveling was dictated entirely by memory for the Rila. Yet there is some indication that he copied some accounts by other travelers. In fact, many scholars do not believe he had visited all of the places that he claimed he did. Even if he did not, his book provides an important account of much of the world known to Asians, Europeans, and Africans in the 14th century. Even Batuta is descriptive on many topics, such as food, for example, cooking frogs, pigs, and dogs in China, transportation, ships, caravans, and animals, clothing, religion, social customs, climate, landforms, and vegetation. He often experienced culture shock regarding clothing, laws, male-female, and slave-free relations when they clashed with his own beliefs and upbringing. But he described these aspects of geography fully, even when he disagreed with them. Thus, Ibn Battuta represents one more step on the road to modern scholarship. Yet his work was unknown outside the Muslim world until the beginning of the 1800s, when a German traveler and explorer acquired a collection of his manuscripts, and the text spread gradually from German to French and then to English, but not until 1929 for selected portions, and the whole text not available in English until 1994. 1994! Even Batuta stated that, quote, I have indeed, praise be to God, attained my desire in this world, which was to travel through the earth, and I have attained this honor, which no ordinary person has attained. Indeed, his revolutionary work could be considered as the first travel blog. Hmm, interesting. And that was, once again, Ibn Battuta, his Rilla, The Wonders of Traveling. Thanks for joining me for this edition of the Thinking Spatially podcast. Now go out there and be spatial. Thanks.